What's up, guys? Jason Frosto for TennisUnleashed.net, and welcome to this episode of The Breaking Point. Today, we're going to talk about the GOAT debate and if it's finally over after Djokovic has won his 24th Grand Slam. So let's get into the numbers and the stats and see if the debate is truly over. All right, so we know Djokovic just won his 24th Grand Slam at the 2023 US Open, picked up another slam number 23 at the French Open, and also won the Australian Open back in January. The only Grand Slam final he lost this year was 2023 Wimbledon against Carlos Alcaraz in a really tight five-setter. So our current slam count right now, right, Djokovic at 24 slams, Rafa at 22 and Federer has been retired for a while and is at 20 grand slams, right? And for a while, you could make the argument in any of those directions that Federer, Nadal, or Djokovic could be considered the greatest of all time. Couple advantages for Nadal and Federer, right? They got their fan bases much earlier. Federer turning pro in 1998, coming out of the scene and then doing really well in 2002 and then really dominating in 2003. And Rafa, right, coming out of the scene in 2001, turning pro and then starting to get that first win over Federer in 2004 and then winning a French Open in 2005. And if you go back in time, Nadal beating Federer at that time was considered to be a pretty big upset. Federer was starting to dominate the tour a bit and starting to collect some Grand Slam titles. And he played the game in such an effortless, easy way that it was tough to see anyone kind of overtaking him or matching his quality of play. The biggest fascination for all Federer fans, including myself, I was a pretty big Roger Federer fan, still am, but Federer played the game in a way that made it look so easy. And I think that was what the true fascination was. Anyone who plays tennis knows that playing tennis is not an easy game to play, but Roger made the game look so silky smooth and so easy. And I think that's where his fan base really blew up. He also beat Pete Sampras and Wimbledon, right? To kind of pass the torch there. That was a really big deal. And then he beat Andre Agassi quite a few times. And Agassi was quoted as saying that he had never played someone that played that level of tennis before. And I know Sampras and Agassi didn't really get along personality wise, but I do think that Agassi up to that point had really felt like Federer was playing at a different level than anyone he'd ever encountered before, especially from the back of the court. Federer really dismantled, I guess if you go back to the 2003 World Championship Finals, really dismantled him in that tournament. I think it was something like 6-3 or 6-1. It was very, very convincing. And I think Agassi kind of felt like his time was up at that point and he didn't have too much time left on the tour to try to win more Grand Slams. So it really seemed like Federer was kind of the anointed one, right? The guy that was going to take the torch and run with it. And he really was until Rafael Nadal stepped on the scene and beat him in a head-to-head -head match back in 2004. On top of that, Nadal won the French Open in 2005 and became the grand master of clay courts, winning a record 14 French Open titles, which I really can't see anyone beating at any point. There were times where Nadal was making runs on clay where he literally just looked unstoppable, right? That lefty forehand kicking up really high over players' backhands. He was basically a one-handed backhand player's worst nightmare. And Federer was never able to defeat Nadal at the French Open. So we had Roger with a super smooth, silky right-handed game that nobody had really ever seen somebody play that smooth before. And then we had Nadal kind of doing the polar opposite coming not that long after him in terms of winning a Grand Slam, 
playing lefty, kind of this grinding style, a lot of fire out there, right? Getting really pumped up. And it was two polar opposites on the tennis court at the same time who happened to both be in the all-time great category, right? We didn't know at the time that's what we were getting, but that truly, in fact, was something that we were getting. But then that's where the spoiler comes into effect with Novak Djokovic turning pro in 2003. And it took Novak a while to make his dent on the scene, right? But eventually he did. Two-handed backhand, just like Nadal, but played right-handed. And he didn't play like either Federer or Nadal. At the time, Djokovic had a lot of hiccups in his game, especially within his serve technique and also his forehand. Little did we know about Novak that he was a perfectionist who's going to do whatever it took to try to perfect his game technically, mentally, physically, diet, just every little single thing. So was he super smooth like Roger? Absolutely not. Was he a grinder who hit super heavy topspin on his forehand side to the backhand and pounded relentlessly and ran every ball down? Not really truly that kind of game style, right? He was sort of somewhere in between with his own unique fingerprint and his own unique game. And I really do think if we didn't have these two polar opposites, Nadal on one side, right? Federer playing a completely different style game with a one-handed back on the other side and these guys colliding for a few years before Novak really stepped up and got on the scene and started to battle these guys head-to-head, I do think those three fan bases would have been a little bit more equally split. But Djokovic didn't hit the Pro Tour until 2003. So he got a five-year start behind Federer, right? Five years later than Roger, and then two years later than Rafa. And Rafa was very physically mature when he first hit the scene. He was able to play with grown men at an early age because he's so physically strong and such a fighter that he was able to step in and compete right away. It took Novak a little bit longer to break through at the tour level. All right, so let's just put the stats out there for everyone to kind of go over, right? Djokovic, 24 grand slams, Rafa at 22, and Roger, of course, is retired, but he's at 20 total grand slams. Rafa picked up 22 grand slams, but 14 of those, right, were at the French Open. He picked four up at the U.S. Open, two at Wimbledon, and two at the Australian Open. So Rafa was able to win a career grand slam twice over because he picked up two Wimbledons and two Australian Opens. If we look at Djokovic's record at Grand Slams, right, 24 total Grand Slams, 10 of those at the Australian Open on hard courts, three at the French Open, seven Wimbledon titles, and four U.S. Open titles. So spread relatively evenly across the different surfaces, right, but being very dominant in Australia, of course, on a hard court. And if we look at Federer's spread, it's a little bit different, right? Six Australian Open, one French Open, eight Wimbledon, and five U.S. Open. So Federer had a hard time picking up those French Open titles, and Djokovic had a hard time doing it as well, right? Federer was never able to beat Rafa at the French Open. Djokovic was able to do it a couple of times, which is probably one of the hardest feats in sports is to defeat Nadal and Clay. So kudos to Djokovic for being able to actually pull that off. And the one kind of big resume gap that Rafa has, right, is he's never able to win a World Tour Finals. And the World Tour Finals is always held on an indoor surface, which doesn't favor his high bouncing topspin forehand, right? So he wasn't able to kind of spam or abuse that at the World Tour Finals. Rafa has zero World Tour Finals titles, 
Novak has six of those at this point, and Federer also has six of those to his credit. I'm going to leave total titles out of this debate and Olympic golds, those types of things. Djokovic hasn't been able to pick up an Olympic gold at this point, but we'll get into the head-to-head records, which is also very important, right? So Novak has a winning head-to-head against Rafa of 30-29. to It's literally almost dead even, but a lot of those wins for Nadal did come at the French Open or on clay surfaces, right? Against Roger, Novak is 27 wins and just 23 losses. And then Rafa has a winning head-to-head against Roger of 24 to 16. So significantly better than Federer. A lot of it, again, on clay and Rafa's ability to hit that high, heavy topspin forehand to Federer's backhand, which drew a lot of short balls and a lot of errors, especially on a higher bouncing surface. So the head-to-heads, Djokovic has the head-to-head argument, right? He has the most Grand Slam titles. He has the most Master Series titles. Djokovic also has the lead for most weeks at number one, 391 for Novak, 310 for Roger, and 209 for Rafa. Now we know Rafa's coming back in 2024 to play more tournaments, and of course, more Grand Slams. He has slowed down a bit with age, and he's had a host of injury issues throughout his career. So it'll be interesting to see if Rafa can put up a big fight in 2024 and possibly snag another French Open. If he's going to win a title, obviously it's going to be at the French Open. I think on the faster services and hard courts, he's going to be very susceptible. But for all the reasons given, I will say this about Novak too. He didn't have the polar opposite effect that Roger and Rafa had to each other, which created these large fan bases for both players. He was sort of someone in the middle, right? Fitting in later on in this puzzle. So in that sense, he didn't have a unique fan base to really draw from, right? He was sort of somewhere in the middle of these two legends at this point where he sort of broke on the scene and there was all this hype around these two players. And Djokovic kind of originally came on and was someone that was sort of funny and comical on the court. He did a lot of impersonations of players. And I think people thought that was pretty funny when he first broke on the scene and did these different impersonations of serves and mannerisms on the court. And then at one point, people might have found the behavior a little bit offensive, right? And then he kind of pulled back from doing things that were funny on the court. But he got very serious about his training. And where I give Novak a lot of credit and why I consider him to be the GOAT is he continued to work on his game to the highest and utmost level. Not that the other two players didn't, but Djokovic perfected tennis in a way that nobody else has. He perfected in a way where he's able to take control and dominate on every single surface, right? Look at the slam counts, what he's won each of. Yes, a lot of them at the Australian Open, but three French Opens, that's incredible when Nadal was so dominant on clay. And then the number of US Opens a little bit lower at four, and then picking up seven titles at Wimbledon up to this point on grass. His game, super versatile, zero weaknesses for the most part. That overhead can be a little suspect sometimes. But the reason I consider him to be the GOAT is he continues to work on his game at the age of 36, He's just not happy enough with what he's getting done, right? He's happy, but he's not content. A shark is never full. And Djokovic, to me, right, kind of that wolf shark mentality, he always wants to eat. He always wants to get better. He said it himself. He's just constantly looking for improvement. What was good enough to win this year won't be good enough to win next year. So the interesting thing for me moving forward is 
Can Djokovic go beyond 24 Grand Slams? Australia is the next one up in January of 2024. That is his favorite event, having 10 slams already there. He is going to be getting closer to the age of 37. I do think footwork-wise, he has lost a step or two, and he's playing a little bit differently to try to make up for that. It'll also be interesting to see if he feels the need to incorporate more serve and volley like he did against Daniil Medvedev in the 2023 US Open final. But in my eyes at this point and for a while now, Djokovic is the GOAT on statistics, but he's also the GOAT because he continues to evolve and improve his game. And that aspect of being the GOAT cannot be overlooked. All right, guys, that wraps it up for this debate on who truly is the GOAT. My pick again, Novak at this point, and I think he's going to add another slam or two to that total of 24. If you enjoyed this video podcast of The Breaking Point, make sure you hit that like and subscribe button. Drop your comments and questions below and let me know different topics that you want me to cover on this channel. I'm Jason Frosto for TennisUnleashed.net. I'll see you next time.